Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote that the falling snow is a poem of the air where the troubled sky reveals the grief it feels. Grief is a good word to start on today. Grief from traffic, grief from snow, grief from slipping around, trying to get wherever you are trying to go. Uh, really remarkable uh, weather coming down out there this morning. And uh, like lots of people, I had a hard time getting into work uh, today. But hopefully you are traveling safe and somewhat on time to wherever it is you need to go. Also, remember how pretty it all is uh, as you're driving through. It's one way to keep your mind off of the potholes and the reckless drivers and all the other things that make this very difficult. We want to talk today about law enforcement. Uh, we want to talk about the FBI. And we talk about the relationship of law enforcement in this country to the political infrastructure. That's not something that's new. It has been with us almost since the beginning, uh, but it does seem to be taking a different turn these days because of who is the president of the United States. Donald Trump appears to be at war with the very agencies that are designed to enforce the law and collect intelligence under his administration. It appears the president is finding ways to discredit and go to war with the FBI and the Department of Justice over an investigation into his connections with the Russian government. Trump has never shied from criticizing the investigation, insisting repeatedly that there was, quote, no collusion. He has said that many times between his campaign and Kremlin operatives. His attempts to quash the investigation at various levels may have him now as the subject of an investigation into obstruction of justice. It's a long and messy road to get us to now when Republicans in Congress released a memo with an apparent attempt to put a cooling effect on Robert Mueller's investigation, and Democrats are now wanting to release a counter-memo that would debunk or clarify the GOP memo. And at the center of it all is the idea of politicization of the FBI and DOJ in a way we have not seen in many years. That's where we want to begin the conversation today, this idea of politicizing law enforcement and the FBI when it comes from the Oval Office, when it comes from the chief executive of the United States. Does that undermine the credibility that the law enforcement agencies have? Does that make it harder for them to do their jobs in other forms where they're not dealing with uh, activities that have to do with the president? And what's the end game here? Is this something that will do permanent damage uh, to the relationship between the executive and the people that he supervises in the law enforcement infrastructure? Uh, or is this just sort of an episodic blip. If you want to join the conversation, as always, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. It's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And joining us uh, up front to talk about this is Barbara McQuaid. She is the former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, now teaching at the University of Michigan, uh, she wrote a recent op-ed in the Detroit Free Press titled, What to Know About the Shadowy Nunez Memo. Barb McQuaid, welcome to Detroit Today. 
Thanks, Stephen. Good morning. Yes, it's good to hear your voice. I hope you are somewhere safe and not slipping around in the snow. I um, am. I am huddled up inside watching <laughs> the snow come down. Yes, it is pretty, like I said, but uh, it it's, it's a nuisance. Um, uh, let, let's talk about, uh, let's start with your op-ed uh, in the Free Press uh, that, that, that tries to sort of um, uh, put the memo, I think, in, in some important context, uh, what, what it means, what it says. Uh, and how unusual it is for it to ever have come uh, to, to, to public light. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, um, uh, there's you know been this history of concern about government abuse, FBI abuse, uh, executive power abuse of wiretapping power. And so this Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court was created so that there could be some oversight, but in a non-public forum by a court when the government wants to obtain a wiretap for foreign intelligence purposes. We can't, we, we can't tell the world what we're doing, but we wanted there to be some independent oversight. And that's why we have this Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. Mm-hmm. And an application was uh, filed to get uh, uh, surveillance on Carter Page, who is uh, was at the time an advisor to President Trump. And the Nunes memo um, pokes a lot of holes in the application for the FISA warrant for Carter Page. Their big allegation seems to be... Um, that uh, the motivations of Christopher Steele and Fusion GPS, who were paid to do political research, that their motivation was not disclosed in the FISA application. Now, that alone may or may not be disqualifying. The memo is really, I think, misleading because it doesn't tell us all of the bases for probable cause that was there to uh, get authorization for the warrant. I've seen these applications before. They're typically you know, 50 pages long. And so it seems to me that without seeing the rest of it, it's hard to know to what extent the court relied on the statements of Fusion GPS. And the memo doesn't say that the allegations are false, right. just that the potential bias wasn't noted. And and that's an odd reason to have, you know, try to, to, to make this memo public in the first place, right? I mean, the idea that, uh, that you would... Uh, reveal something as a way of discrediting uh, a law enforcement agency as the chief executive. I mean, uh, there, there there has long been tensions between uh, presidents and the FBI uh, off and on over the years. But but this kind of tension, where the idea is to is to to make people believe less in the credibility of uh, of that law enforcement agency, that's unusual, isn't it? Yeah, and you know when you think about. When you make a decision like this, I imagine one weighs the costs and the benefits of disclosing it. The cost is really quite significant. The Department of Justice warned that disclosing that memo would be extraordinarily reckless because um, they work very hard to keep these FISA applications secret to protect the sources who gave them information. Sometimes it comes from foreign governments. Mm-hmm. And so it really compromises the credibility of our intelligence community that someone would simply disclose this to the public. So the cost of this was really quite high. And then you have to ask, well, at what at what benefit? What did we get as a result of it? I see a fairly weak allegation that the uh, application may have failed to disclose a political motive, although we're now hearing that in the shift memo, the Democratic response, they say even that's not true. So one wonders if the outcome of this was really so underwhelming, is there some other motive afoot, perhaps to undermine the credibility of the FBI or even the deputy attorney general who signed off on the reauthorizations, Rod Rosenstein. Yeah, uh, th- this war with uh, with Mueller and with the investigation, uh, 
Um, uh, what is the, in, in your mind, is the aim of that to to blunt any significance of of the findings that he comes out with, uh, or is it to is it to 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 make maybe make it all go away? I mean, I guess we've never seen a president uh, behave this way uh, with an investigation before. Yeah, it's very difficult to um, understand the motivations of of this president in lots of arenas, but here it's not clear. It seems at least one motivation, though, may be that at the end, if there is to be some sort of recommendation for prosecution or impeachment, to so undermine the confidence in the investigators um, that the public and maybe Congress, who has to vote on an impeachment decision, uh, decides that the whole thing just lacks credibility. Perhaps that is one motivation. Uh, I'm not sure. But one motivation that I pointed out in the op-ed is, if it's perhaps a a motivation to fire Rod Rosenstein, the Deputy Mm -hmm. Attorney General, who approved this FISA application, um, he is the one who's actually Robert Mueller's boss. Right. He is, um, because Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, is recused, Rod Rosenstein gets to decide uh, whether to approve any indictment that Robert Mueller brings forward, whether to approve any report to Congress recommending impeachment, and even any request to expand the scope of his investigation. And so if you were to replace Rod Rosenstein with someone who was a little more loyal to the president, as uh, he seems to yearn for, you could perhaps end up with a very different outcome in this case. And so I wonder if that isn't perhaps at least one motivation here. Sure. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Barb McQuaid, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, now teaching at the University of Michigan. We're talking about the apparent war between Donald Trump, the president of the United States, and the Department of Justice, specifically uh, against Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, and Robert Mueller, who is the special prosecutor uh, appointed to look into connections between Donald Trump's campaign and the Russian government. Uh, McQuaid wrote an op-ed in the Free Press recently taking a look at the memo uh, released uh, recently that, uh, that, that talks about uh, the investigations into people who were involved in the Trump campaign. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Uh, let us know what you think about the things that the president is saying about Robert Mueller, uh, about Rosenstein. Uh, uh, let us know what you think of this war with the Department of Justice, the idea of leaking a memo out of uh, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. Uh, What do you think of the idea of trying to taint an investigation while it's going on? Of course, uh, there is no no surprise in the history of the FBI being uh, sort of caught up in uh, politics the way that it is. That's something that has happened uh, time and again in our history. But this does seem like something different than what we have seen before. Um, Do you trust the FBI? And do you think that the Bureau's motives here are political? And do you maybe think that Donald Trump is right to push back against this? Or do you have more faith in the FBI and the DOJ to get to the truth of what went on uh, between the Trump campaign and the Russians? If you want to join the call, uh, the show again, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, uh, and uh, you can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Barb, I want to ask you what effect you think these things that the president is saying and doing actually have on 
Mueller uh, as he does his work. Uh, I mean, you worked in the Department of Justice for a very long time. Uh, and as I said, this is not the first time we've seen politics sort of cross over into that realm. Uh, does this make it tougher for an investigator to to sort of keep their eye on on the facts and the evidence and, and the witnesses? Yeah, I don't worry about Mueller too much. In fact, I think every time one of these episodes occurs, it gives him another potential charge or evidence of obstruction of justice. So mm-hmm. it probably only helps his investigation. What I worry about is the agents out in the field. As you said, you know, there's been some history at the FBI in the past with um, you know, uh, wiretapping of Martin Luther King and mm-hmm. of Vietnam protesters that caused a lot of distrust of the FBI. And they've worked very hard in the, you know, the last 40 to 50 years to really maintain credibility. There's a lot of processes put in place to maintain their independence from the White House and from partisan politics. And um, they do such important work. I've worked closely with FBI agents who work so hard, uh, put themselves in dangerous situations to protect the public. And what I worry about um, is that uh, when they're out in the field interviewing people in a kidnapping case or a bank robbery case or some other very important garden variety case, that people will be skeptical of them, won't trust them, won't want to talk to them. I worry that when juries look at FBI agents and have to assess their credibility when they're witnesses on the stand Mm -hmm. talking about their investigation, that they're not going to believe them because the president has told them that they're a disgrace and they're in tatters. So I I worry more about that. Sometimes people ask if you worry about the morale of the FBI. and Not as much. I think the FBI are um, professionals who put their heads down and care a lot about their mission. I think they're going to continue to do their jobs, but I worry about their public perception and their ability to do their job effectively. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Dave in Farmington. Dave, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Uh, um, good, but doesn't it seem like uh, this is more for foreign government involvement, Russian hackbots or whatever you call them, that uh, promoting hashtag release the memo and then our own internal politics folding to pressure from external sources <laughs> wow uh dave that's a i mean that's a pretty that's a pretty complicated uh, conspiracy there uh the, I, it's interesting i'm not sure i thought of it uh, that way uh thanks for the call though and the the, the question barb mcquay talk about that uh is this the russians sort of interfering in the investigation into whether the Russians interfered with the 2016 uh, uh, presidential contest. Wow, if you put it in a science fiction movie, nobody would believe it. <laughs> right? It's a you know, spy, spy novel. Um, there were reports that, you know, there was uh, hashtag release the memo was trending on social media, right. and that Russian bots were some of those that were perpetuating it. Um, it could very well be. Um, you know, during the election, there has been... Uh, evidence that that's what the Russians were doing. Um, you know, propaganda wars have existed for as long as there's been spy tradecraft, mm-hmm. and the Russians seem to have become very good at using uh, cyber techniques, social media, to do it. So um, that that theory is not that far-fetched, I think, that uh, that they continue to sow discord in this country and, and try to divide us, you know, find those... Um, those touch points and uh, and try to push it. Well, and th- and that makes uh, that makes it even more difficult, I would imagine, if you're if you're Robert Mueller, to t- again to, to to keep the focus on the things that uh, you're supposed to be looking. I mean, this idea that there's sort of subterfuge uh, 
uh, all around you, I, I would imagine, is is not confusing, but maybe confounding. Yeah, you know, um, one challenge, I suppose, is that ordinarily when you're investigating a case, you're looking at things that have already occurred. It's historic. It's done. Um, and sometimes you're looking at ongoing conduct. Um, new things happen every day, and so it's uh, probably difficult for him to ever get through his to-do list because every day there's a new event or statement else, right? by the president that is potentially evidence of obstruction of justice that he needs to, to run down. So, um, you know, when you have cases like that, at some point you have to decide we have enough and it's time to stop. But I imagine that it keeps that to-do list uh, on a running tally. Yeah. Uh, as someone who was a longtime prosecutor, I'm going to ask you a question that I don't know, maybe is a little unfair, but but I'm curious as to your sense of how strong the evidence is that there was obstruction here. I mean, that's a that's a charge that that uh, that has a very specific legal meaning, of course. But I think in people's minds, uh, in, in popular uh, narrative, it means something uh, quite different. Uh, the idea of, of obstruction, uh, but that seems to be the thing that everyone has sort of coalesced around as the most likely thing to come out of this. I'm, I'm curious what you think of what we have seen so far in that regard. Yeah, there's definitely strong evidence that it might be there. It's hard to know um, without actually seeing all the evidence that Robert Mueller has. Some of those early indications, you know, the, the key piece of it all is you have to prove corrupt intent, right. that the person had a bad purpose, not just that they tried to stop it, but they did it for a bad reason. In those early conversations that Donald Trump was having, say, with Jim Comey about loyalty and letting it go with Flynn, he might have a plausible explanation that I was new to the presidency and I didn't know how it worked and I was used to being an executive who called the shots. Mm -hmm. But I think as time goes on, um, that defense is going to be less effective. You know, for example, there is some allegations about what occurred aboard Air Force One when they were working on a press statement to explain away the meeting that Donald Trump Jr. had with Russians, um, the one that caused the publicist to resign, thinking that, there, that he may have witnessed obstruction of justice. That one, which comes um, you know, six or seven months into the presidency, after there's already talk about obstruction of justice and what that is, that they made a concerted effort perhaps to draft a misleading statement there. You know, as you get farther and farther from the beginning, um, it seems like you might be able to build a case of obstruction of justice there. And the more um, additional episodes of efforts to try to derail the investigation, I think the stronger the evidence becomes. So I don't know what Robert Mueller will ultimately conclude, but there have certainly been um, a, a lot of indications that there could be a potential charge for obstruction of justice. Okay. Barb McQuaid, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, now teaching at the University of Michigan. Thanks, as always, for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Up next, we're going to talk to a former FBI agent about this unfamiliar territory the Bureau finds itself navigating in Washington. We're going to continue the conversation about politics and justice, politics and the FBI. A little later in the show, we will talk to an historian who is very familiar with politics and the way it has interfered with the FBI. Stay with us on Detroit Today. WDET, bringing you culture and information that empowers our community. Every day on 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station.
You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We were talking this hour about the overlap between justice and politics. We're seeing a lot of that lately as Donald Trump, the president of the United States, takes aim at the FBI and other law enforcement agencies specifically because of their investigation into his campaign in 2016 and its connections to the Russian government. Of course, that is not a new narrative in the United States. Uh, The idea of politicization of our law enforcement agencies is about as old as those agencies itself. But with Donald Trump and his attacks on those agencies, I think we're seeing a new chapter, a new wrinkle for sure, uh, in that narrative. If you want to join the conversation, uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Do you trust the FBI and do you think the Bureau's motives are pure here in the Russian investigation? Or do you think that they are political and driven by those who supported Hillary Clinton uh, in 2016 instead of Donald Trump? Uh, Do you have confidence in the FBI and DOJ to get to the bottom of what went on between the Donald Trump campaign and the Russians? You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Joining us now to talk more about the relationship between the political infrastructure and the law enforcement infrastructure in this country is Andy Arena. He is the executive director of the Detroit Crime Commission, a former FBI special agent in charge for the Detroit Division. Andy, welcome to Detroit Today. Stephen, good morning. Yes. Um, So, as I said in the open there, the FBI has faced... Uh, criticism almost since its founding uh, for the idea that it is motivated uh, at times by politics, that it is motivated by some of the darker dynamics in our society. Um, you, you, you were part of that organization for a very long time. I'm, I'm curious to hear you put into context the things that we're hearing and seeing now uh, with the president accusing the FBI, and the DOJ of having those political motives? Well, Stephen, in a perfect world, the FBI should stay uh, above all of that, should be non-political. Uh, we know we don't live in a perfect world, and we never have. And I think if you look historically, there have been issues uh, with presidents uh, all the way back to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I think every president uh, since then has at some point tried to use the FBI or to exert its influence in in, uh, some way that's probably not correct. Um, You have oversight. You know, you have congressional oversight, you have inspector generals, you have the the legal system, you have the courts uh, that are supposed to be overseeing, particularly our our intelligence gathering. And and the FBI is the the primary domestic intelligence agency for the the United States. So you want oversight. As an American citizen, I want oversight. Um, but I think what we're seeing right now is really not oversight. It's more uh, trying to bloody up the FBI for your own political purposes. So as an American citizen, Stephen, if something was done incorrectly here, I want to know. But the way we're going about it right now is just not the way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so since President Trump took office, uh, there's been rumblings that he has 
inspired in many cases about the idea of a deep state that is attempting to take him down. And I think when he says that, I think he means there's this kind of uh, shadow government that is that is made up of, you know, the FBI and the CIA and the NSA, all of these uh, these law enforcement agencies uh, that we have. Um, I, I, I wonder what you make of that conversation. That's a new that's a new kind of conversation to be having about those agencies, I feel. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, given your time in the bureau, uh, what you make of the whole idea of a deep state here. in America. It's insanity, Stephen. I mean, the FBI is made up of people. Uh, they also can hold to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, but they are human beings. When you get two more than two human beings together, uh, you're not going to be able to keep a conspiracy. Uh, <laughs> it it just doesn't that. work that way. So, it, you know, to me, it, it plays to the conspiracy theorists. Uh, it's it's craziness. Uh, I spent 24 years in that agency, and I can tell you that I never saw anything like that in the United States government. Yeah, uh, but but at the same time, uh, we have this historical record of the FBI at times certainly going beyond. Uh, law enforcement uh, uh, sensibilities and veering into politics. Uh, when we were talking the last segment to Barb McQuaid, she brought up uh, the spying on Martin Luther King, uh, the spying on Malcolm X, uh, uh, really egregious oversteps by these agencies. What, what in your mind says that we ought to trust that they are about law enforcement and not politics and not involved in some, some grand conspiracy well it, it, Stephen, in in barb's right i uh, i actually i'm teaching a class a law school class on this right now intelligence gathering and, and privacy and, and how do you balance those two things and i think that it, historically in what barb's talking about is the cointel pro program uh and also the minaret program which was run by the nsa um where where in the intelligence community of the united states was spying on united states citizens um a lot has changed since then. We've got to remember those programs were in the 1950s and 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to remind people, J. Edgar Hoover's been dead for, for many, many years now. Um, but we have these, these oversight. FISA, which is obviously in, in the forefront right now, was, was enacted as, as an oversight. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to remember when COINTELPRO and, and, and the spying on domestic uh, groups such as um, the Black Panthers sure. or uh, Martin Luther King, um, there was no law really in effect, and it was really unclear what the authorities were for domestic spying. It's very clear uh, post-FISA as to what, what you need to get uh, those types of warrants and what the responsibilities of the FBI are. So that's where I hang my hat. Is that, look, this, these are different times. There are different laws. There's so much more oversight. We didn't have the House and Senate Intelligence Committee at that time. Yeah. Um, you didn't have the inspector generals that you have today. So, and you certainly didn't have FISA. So I think it's a different world that we live in. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones to join the conversation. Uh, 313-577-1019. Tell us what you think about the FBI and the DOJ. What's your level of trust in those agencies uh, to investigate President Trump and his connection, possible connection to the Russian government during the 2016 presidential campaign. Also tell us what your historical view is of law enforcement and its involvement in politics in this country. Uh, let's go to Steve in Berkeley. Steve, welcome to Detroit Today. 
Hi, I had a comment about the investigation. Uh I'm looking back at the presidential campaign, and Donald Trump was the first person to bring up the thought of voter fraud and people meddling in the electoral process in the United States. And here we see everything playing out that the FBI is investigating what could potentially be feeding into voter fraud. And just because Donald Trump won, now he's trying to shut down everything what he's, that he started. He's basically reaping what he sowed early on during his candidacy. That's a, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a really interesting. Uh, that's a really interesting point, Andrew Arena. I, I want you to react to what uh, to what Steve is saying there. Well, I think that I think that the point that we're all missing, Stephen. I mean, there's a lot of subterfuge here, a lot of red herrings. The big issue that faces this country is Russian meddling. Um, this is espionage, pure and simple. And sure. quite frankly, whoever came up with this idea, I mean, look, look, this is something the Russians have been doing. The Soviets did. The Russians have been doing for many, many years, and they're very successful. Not just here. And uh, I mean, whoever came up with that and implemented that plan, I mean, that that guy should get a raise and a promotion. Because it's uh, he did a, he did an outstanding job, yeah. um, and, I, and I think that Stephen, that's the one thing we're really missing uh, the point on is we're still susceptible to it. I don't think that from a national security standpoint we're any better off today than we were uh, pre two thousand sixteen election. And one of the things that I keep talking about is is the the sort of remarkable nature of what you just said. I mean, the the, the Russian sort of spy apparatus of of the Cold War, for instance, uh, was largely rumored to be you know in tatters uh, under Putin and and a really different kind of regime. Uh, this idea that they're capable of these kind of things, I think. It's something of a surprise, isn't it? Yeah, but I think we have to remember. I mean, where, who was Putin? Putin was a KGB officer. He was a spy, so, sure. Yeah, so I mean, he he grew up in that uh, in that environment. Uh, he's he's very knowledgeable, very adept, and I'm sure he's put the time, the effort, the money into reconstructing it. So, quite frankly, it shows bad intelligence gathering on our part if we uh, if we didn't see this coming. Right. Right. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. If you want to join the conversation, talk about the FBI and the DOJ, their relationship to the political infrastructure and the context of President Donald Trump and the investigation into his ties, potential ties, I guess, with uh, the Russian government during the 2016 campaign. Let's go to Charlie in Royal Oak. Charlie, welcome to Detroit. Hi, good morning, Stephen. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Two obvious questions. If Donald Trump is so, you know, innocent and has nothing to hide, why is he acting so guilty? Why does he need to call out all these people and try to embarrass them and tell them they're lousy? That, you know, he's acting guilty as hell. Um, <laughs> second, what is up with a military parade in Washington? Yeah. When's the last time we had one of those? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it strikes Charlie... militarism big time and <laughs> reminds me of, you know, Hitler and the Soviets. Yeah, uh, uh, Charlie, I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, uh, and, and I had made a note to myself uh, before the show that I wanted to get to that uh, space as well. Uh, the idea of, of you know, that kind of show of military force in this country. Uh, but, but before I get there with, with Andy Arena, I want to I talk about uh, your first point, uh, which is this idea that the president's attacks on this investigation somehow suggest guilt uh, on, on his part. I mean, I think that's uh, certainly 
given his personality and his his sort of uh, character, I think a lot of people are are quick to to make that assumption. But that's also sort of a dangerous way to assume uh, things. In in some ways, I mean, uh, everyone's entitled to presume presumed innocence before they're uh, proven uh, guilty. Uh, Andy Irene, I wonder I wonder what you make of the the what it says that the president is so concerned about attacking this investigation is that a sign of his guilt well i, I try to look beyond that Stephen. i think the investigators and bob Mueller and his folks are, are looking beyond that they're looking at the facts um they're looking at the documentation and, and the money trail and the people are interviewing and you know they don't want to as I, I use the term red herring they don't want to get drawn off on something like that um, but, I, you know, I think it is interesting, if you, if you remember back uh, a few months ago, Steve Bannon said that, uh, you know, the way to uh, the way to kill an investigation like this is not to fire Bob Mueller. It's to uh, cut the funding, uh, slow roll the document production sure. and attack, attack the integrity of the investigation. And I think that, you know, you're kind of seeing that that playbook being used here. And that's certainly a big part of it. If you can attack the integrity uh, which, you know, attacking the integrity of Bob Mueller is very, very difficult. But you attack the people around him uh, and show bad motive, uh, you know, maybe you score a few points. Yeah. Uh, Bob Mueller, you, you bring him up there as somebody who would, would be very hard to attack uh, his character and, and his history certainly certainly suggests uh, that, that, that he's somebody who, uh, who has a high level of integrity. You know, I, I, I do wonder, though, whether, uh, you know, I, I wonder about the flip of the narrative here. I mean, Bob Mueller, who uh, is so respected in Washington and so respected in the law enforcement community, being under fire the way he is from, from this president – who ran as a law and order candidate. I mean, uh, that was one of the things that Donald Trump said was so important uh, to, to his presidency or would be important to his presidency. There, there, there's an automatic mismatch there to then take after someone like Bob Mueller, it seems. Yeah, I, I don't know the <laughs> – I don't really see uh, how that's going to uh, help, but – uh, you know, I think you're following the Steve Bannon playbook. I, I worked for Bob Mueller for many years. Mm-hmm. I was kind of staff for a couple of years. And, um, you know, I worked uh, as, as an executive with him. He is a very, very demanding man. Mm-hmm. He's a very difficult guy to work. Steve, and I don't think he's human. I've never, <laughs> all the time I spent when I never saw the man put a, a bite of food in his mouth. I mean, the guy just is a, is a machine. But, you know, this is a, this is a decorated Marine Corps Vietnam uh uh, officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he spent his entire adult life basically as a public servant, as a, as a United States attorney, as a uh, member of the Department of Justice, as a, the director of the FBI, and now with the, with this independent counsel. So, you know, I don't know. He, he's a very... Questioning his integrity is, is not a good move in my mind. Uh, but I know him. I know him very well, and I just have a great deal of respect for the man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. We got a lot of folks lined up here to take part in the conversation. Al in Detroit. Al, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, Stephen. Hey, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay. Okay, I have this crazy question I want to ask uh, both you and your guests, mm-hmm. and it's been bothering me for a while. And the question is. How do we know that Donald Trump is not a spy? Before you think I'm crazy for cuckoo puffs, <laughs> hear me out. Okay, we already ahead. know. 
we already know that prior uh, in Ukraine that Putin has already on uh, um, the president who was there before he um the, he invaded uh, the the area. He already he went to uh, Putin when he ran from Ukraine. So already know Putin has experience, um, I guess, involving himself with a world with a country leader, mm-hmm. leader of a country, and all the material that has been presented that that we know publicly has already been presented as him having some involved uh, multiple involvements with Russia, whether it be financially or somehow, I see like you know coincidentally, <laughs> right? And then. And so forth, and like that, like that place he sold down in Florida for double the amount that was supposed to be money laundering. And we also know that when he went in, when he had those two uh, people who were on the who were blacklisted from ever entering like the country, whatever they are, or they were basically on, on the watch list. They were in the Oval Office by him, with him, by himself, <laughs> and he gave the information freely. And the only people who were there were, I believe, were Russian media. Yeah, yeah. I Al- mean, there's a, I mean. Al, I, I can't dispute much of what you said. Some of it I'm, I, I can't verify either because I'm not sure. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure what the what the veracity of that is. But I do think that your general point is, is something that maybe people wonder from time to time: is how would we know if Donald Trump were a spy for the Russians? There's certainly a lot of evidence that he's quite fond of. Uh, uh, certain certain elements of of Russian uh, politics and life and finance. Uh, Andy Arena, I'll give you a chance to to respond. Is this uh, a potentially a Manchurian candidate kind of a scenario? <laughs> Stephen, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was, I was going to say it sounds like a Manchurian candidate, but uh, yeah, I, I I I don't think I'll touch that one. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I think that's fair. All right, Andy Arena, executive director of the Detroit Crime Commission, former FBI special agent in charge for the Detroit Division. Thanks as always for joining us on Detroit today. Stephen, thank you. Yep. Up next, we're going to talk with an FBI historian about how that agency has intersected with American politics in the past. And we want to continue to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Nick in Macomb Township, Bernard on Harsons Island. We'll get to you next. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking this hour about the overlap between law enforcement and politics, and specifically with regard to the investigation into President Donald Trump and whether his campaign in 2016 had inappropriate contacts or influence by the Russian government. If you want to join the conversation, tell us what you think of the FBI and the DOJ, how much faith you have in this investigation, how much faith you have in them generally to be acting in the sense of law enforcement as opposed to politics. Of course, the history of the FBI is quite complicated, and there have been many times where politics have driven the agenda there. Are you somebody who believes that that's still the case and that we ought to be questioning this investigation the way the president is? Or do you believe that the president is out of his lane and maybe just trying to defend himself uh, from that investigation? 
1019 is the number on the phones to join that conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Joining us now to talk more about the history of the FBI is Douglas Charles. He's an associate professor of history at Penn State University. He researches and publishes on the history of the FBI. Douglas Charles, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's put this current fight between the White House and the FBI in the context of history. I think it's somewhat extraordinary. Uh, you would know far better uh, where, it, where it fits uh, on that spectrum. Well, yeah, this is extraordinary. Um, I've been thinking about historical precedents in the FBI's history for this, and I think the best comparison is Watergate and President Nixon, because in those days, as the FBI was investigating Watergate, becoming closer and closer, uh, and zeroing in on top White House officials, uh, Nixon wanted to shut down the FBI's probe, just like uh, it seems Trump wants to do. Yeah. Yeah, um, that that parallel to Nixon is something that I think uh, people are are starting to make more and more. Uh, uh, can you sort of expand on that idea? Is this are we veering into sort of Nixonian kind of interference with with law yeah. enforcement? Right, I, I think we are. Although there are certainly differences in how this is being executed. In Nixon's day, he did this all behind the scenes and quite. Uh, quietly. Uh, Nixon tried to use the CIA to pressure the FBI to stop its um, Watergate probe mm -hmm. on the grounds of national security. Uh, Nixon was also fortunate to have his own a man in as FBI director since J. Edgar Hoover had died in 1972, and Nixon appointed L. Patrick Gray as director, and Gray shared Watergate-related information with the White House. He destroyed Watergate-related files, uh, and he also attempted to steer the FBI away from focusing on Watergate and the president. Mm -hmm. So that was all done behind the scenes. It didn't work out. It failed, in fact. And the difference here is President Trump is doing a very public yes. effort at discrediting the FBI to try to stop its probe. But he has also his allies in Congress, which Nixon did not have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, how significant in history do you believe something like the Nunes memo is, uh, this idea of uh, releasing something that was secret uh, as a way of trying to discredit uh, a law enforcement agency? I can't think of another right. example um, in our well, history. Well, this is unprecedented. Uh, we've never seen this before. Uh, the history does, or the FBI does have a long history of cooperating with congressional committees mm -hmm. and, in fact, sharing information with them. But it was always predicated on the fact that that information would be kept secret. Uh, even during the J. Edgar Hoover days, uh, the FBI would coordinate with committees in its own interests, and Hoover would cut them off if they dared to make those links public or share information. And after the Hoover years, the FBI, of course, shared information with the oversight committees just to make sure the FBI is on the up and up and doing its job. Yeah. So the fact that the House Intelligence Committee would release information nowadays, um, it's simply unprecedented. It's never been happened, never has, has happened before, and is really quite concerning and damaging between the relationship between the FBI and oversight committees, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Diane on Twitter says, Trump's criticism of our institutions is exactly benefiting 
Putin. The criticism is an attempt to discredit Miller and the FBI in front of the indictments that are coming against this illegitimate administration. Uh, Diane, thank you very much for the comments. Let's go to Nick. Nick in Macomb Township. Welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, Thank you very much. Sure. Yeah, so I just wanted to call in kind of as a a counterpoint. A a gentleman earlier said that uh, Trump um, was acting, you know, against uh, these these agencies. And I feel that um, uh, the reason why must be that there's such an echo chamber uh, currently with so much mainstream media and many people uh, convicting him before he's had, you know, his uh, his time, you know, to actually fight these allegations. And I, I feel that um, it'd be in his best interest to not, you know, um, Hmm. cooperate these people if they've already convicted him in their minds. So so but I guess in that in that theory Nick you're putting the law enforcement agencies that are investigating this in the same space as mainstream media who you say have already convicted him. Well, do you believe no, that to I, be true? I just I do feel there is some, you know, cooperation between these agencies that we're speaking about and media um, <clears throat> leaks and whatnot. And I do feel that, um, you know, the best way to, to, to enact change is to bring light upon the situation. Hmm. You know, your last caller had stated that there's never been an incident where they've actually released these memos or documents, and uh, this is unprecedented. Yeah. Well, it's been business as usual in Washington for 50-plus years, and this is exactly why Trump was elected, uh, to enact change. Okay. Um, these people are politicized. It's not like they are just above reproach. Okay. Um, I'm a former military person. I've seen great military people, bad military people. There's politicized um, factions within these agencies that need to be rooted out. Um, if we really want to have an open society, these types of documents, these types of conversations belong to the American people, okay. not to intel communities, not to just finite members of Congress. This belongs to everybody in the U.S., okay, and this Nick, is why I, he should be fighting it. Yeah, Nick, I appreciate uh, the call and the comments. Uh, I really appreciate the, the call and the comments, uh, given that uh, that I would uh, I might disagree with them. I think that's an important part of the show here. I want to give Doug Charles, uh, who's, who researches and publishes on the history of the FBI, a chance to answer that. Uh, how politicized has the FBI been historically, and how politicized is it now? And is there some convergence with uh, with media in terms of leaking and uh, uh, pushing investigations through sort of extrajudicial uh, channels. Well, of course, there is a long history of the FBI being politicized, uh, particularly during the J. Edgar Hoover years. Uh, yes. He would, uh, behind the scenes, leak information to advance his mm-hmm. purposes. But th- those days are, are past. And today, uh, the FBI is largely independent, independent of politics, not completely, but mostly so. And they do sometimes play a role in politics. The best example recently would be Comey commenting on the presidential election uh, in 2016. So that does happen. But in this case, um, this is not an example of the FBI being political. This is an example of the FBI being attacked for political purposes actually. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Nick, I, I appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Uh, keep listening to the show. We really appreciate that. Let's go to Bernard on Harsons Island. Bernard, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Mm-hmm. Um, 
One question that's been looming in my mind for a while as this whole matter has proceeded is, uh, has Mr. Mueller had the opportunity to see Mr. Trump's tax returns, all of them? Because if we follow the money, I think we'll find the answers. That's a great question, Bernard. I don't think I know the answer to it. Douglas Charles, do you know what the, the sort of whether the scope of this investigation gets to the tax returns that Donald Trump refused to to release during the campaign? Uh, I'm sure they are. <laughs> we don't know <laughs> for certain, however. Uh, only time will tell, and I'm, I'm sure we'll learn about that in the coming months. Yeah, as as we sort of learn what the result of the in- investigation is. Yeah. Um, uh, let's go to John. John in Pleasant Ridge. Welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, my comment was about sort of the difference between this uh, – really partisan committee in Congress that's so split that it can only release selected uh, or the fact that it is releasing the the selective parts of what they know in an effort to discredit the FBI versus the F versus the FBI and and, uh, and Mueller carrying on their their investigation and uh, it's like what Another caller made a comment about about releasing, being open with the uh, with the information about the investigation, and yet here we have the committee releasing information that yeah, yeah. Is, is obviously extremely biased. Right, John. John, that's a great uh, that's a great question, uh, Douglas Charles. We've only got about a minute left, but I want to get you to talk about this idea of effective. Legislative oversight of, of the FBI, effective oversight of these kinds of investigations. Uh, do you buy the idea that this is just an effort to conduct oversight without uh, the political, the sort of political goals? Well, no, this is not oversight. Uh, oversight does not involve leaking right. FBI information from a committee. Oversight involves questioning the FBI director in public and asking probing questions. But interestingly, I actually researched it. The origins of the House Intelligence Committee uh, dates 1977, and part of it involved stopping leaks of classified information from Congress. And they thought by having this committee, they could control information and make sure it's not leaked out for partisan purposes. And that's exactly what's happening here. Yeah. Okay, Douglas Charles, Associate Professor of History at Penn State, researches and publishes on the history of the FBI. Thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow when we are going to continue part of this conversation through another historical lens. We'll talk to a professor from Indiana University about the marred relationship between the FBI and the African-American community during and after the civil rights movement. Uh, This is 101.9 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.